Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, folks, listeners out there, and g'day, Marxists, how are you? Yeah, morning, Annie, yeah, well, thanks, and morning to all the uh, listeners out there. Yeah, you're on Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR, we've got politics for you, we're going to serve it up for breakfast with your Wheaties, if that's what you so desire, and uh, it's a beautiful day outside, uh, as our uh, comrades from the uh, uh, Zero Emissions said the other day, uh, that's lovely, but it uh, harbages a very dry summer, so I guess uh, you've got to take it where you can get it. Don't forget that there's a big rally on uh, next Friday, uh, the 20th, uh, Climate Action, Global Day of Climate Action. The uh, young'uns are inviting all the adults to come along and try and help save the planet. Uh, not a bad ambition. Will you be there? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there, yeah, with the, the climate strike, is it? Yep, Friday, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 2pm, Treasury Gardens, that's if you're in Melbourne. Of course, it's global, uh, so in other parts of the uh, country, there will be other places for you to go, and or you could do it for yourself. You could uh, not rally, but do something within your workplace. There you go. Anyway, today, uh, we're going to kick off with some recordings from the Japruang uh, rally that was held on Tuesday, the Sacred Trees just outside Ararat, as it's called, uh, the um, Western high- the Highway, they want to extend it out there and uh, the, it's right in the path of some uh, over 800-year-old birthing trees. The local Aboriginal people, the Jabrawang, or as it was pointed out by one of the speakers at this rally, I'm not an Aboriginal person, I'm a, and all the various... Uh, one of them is Japrawang. And uh, so uh, be a bit careful about the uh, uh, term. Uh, one Nation's person was, uh, they, they all rallied and they were pretty uh, annoyed and pretty upset. And uh, so uh, I've got some recordings of the earliest parts of it. It was emceed by Lydia, Lydia, Lydia Thorpe. Uh, we've got Lydia Thorpe talking and Marjorie Thorpe, her mother, and f- it's followed by a lovely piece by a young woman called Sissy Austin. Uh, they went off after that to the coroner's court. Did you know that that's down at Southbank? It's a long trek. We all walked from up at Parliament Steps down to Southbank. Uh, the inquest, was it, for, for Tanya, Tanya Day, Day, the woman there, yeah. murdered in custody? That's exactly right. And as the chanters said, uh, they call it justice, we call it murder. Uh, and uh, anyway, so we gathered outside there too, and that was to give support 
to uh, the family of Tanya Day because, as the uh, First Nations person said, we couldn't always be there. It was also interesting because O'Neill from the West Papuan uh, people who uh, are on uh, one of our fellow programmers at 3CR was there, gave a speech of solidarity with the... uh, uh, First Nations people of Australia, and uh, in particular Drabruang, but also they uh, play, they uh, connected because of what's going on in West Papua at the moment. You know that the West Papuans are being um, terrorised by the Indonesians uh, in West Papua at the moment. Yeah, the situation's escalated through the week with yeah, the military yeah, closing ranks on the on the West Papuan people there. Yeah. yeah, closing off. Uh, um, electronic communications. Uh, at least 10 people have been killed, have been identified as having been murdered. Uh, also, um, the uh, uh, it, it, it's a terrible situation, effectively. And but Australia's closest neighbours, yeah. Yeah, They're yeah. They're only about 70k from Darwin. Oh, and as O'Neill pointed out, all those uh, um, Indonesian soldiers have been trained by Australia in West in uh, Western Australia. So there you go. That's uh, that's uh, the uh, the method of uh, creating friendly alliances across the uh, Pacific, I guess. But anyway, the West Papuans are having a rally on the uh, State Library steps at 1pm today. So if you want to go and show solidarity and to hear their voices, uh, and uh, uh, they are our closest neighbours, effectively. Uh, and uh, there's a genocide going on, not just in our borders, but on our doorsteps. So let's go first off to uh, the Japarong rally. The first part of it is all about asking people why they were there, because there were hundreds of people there. 3CR, I was wondering why are you here today? Because it's about time that we show some respect to the people that were here way before any of us. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else want to say anything? Where did you hear about it? The Coming to the Parliament steps to uh, put forward the arguments for Dapurong. Word of mouth, just a lot of people that are about rallying against it. Thanks. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Do you want to tell me why you've come here today? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm here and I'm skipping school because I find it's really important that they don't chop down the trees. They're really precious to the people and I just think it's wrong. Do you think that it would be about time that uh, white society actually realised that uh, the uh, first inhabitants have got a whole uh, ecological and cultural stamp on this country? Yes, I do believe that it's time that we face what... Yeah. Do you think that would have a, a, a positive for our future if that was the case? What sort of positives do you think that might bring... Yeah, it would bring people together, I reckon, because it's been divided for so long and I think now's the time that we have to come together. Thanks. I ask you why you're here then? Oh, I'm from 3CR. Oh, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't really have more to say than that, so... Maybe. Can I ask you why you're here? I'm from 3CR. <laughs> why did you come down? I'm here because I believe that the Andrews government should put a stop to what's happening out in the Jabarong Embassy on the sacred land there. I believe that they should stop the cultural genocide and respect this treaty that needs to happen. Yeah. Thanks. I'm from 3CR. I'm wondering if you could uh, talk to me about what's going on here. 
Uh, well, today we're um, having a rally um, for the the, the um, Japarung trees to um, reinforce to the state government that um, they shouldn't take them trees out and um, we need to protect our heritage and we hopefully will be able to tell people here today in this rally who come, yeah, just continue the action to the state about, um, you know, what's going on, telling people what's going on. Now I know that um, with the sacred trees, the uh, Jab Ruang people basically have got a whole range of things that they've kept and protected, but uh, the government's acted as if it's uh, news to them, and it probably is because um, it's hard to protect important things, isn't it? Yes, well also there are supposed to be proper heritage surveys done as well and we don't believe that that's been the case. So there's some sloppy work within the system and the process which have now come to light and um, two of those have been the ignoring of um, two very important reports in relation to those trees. So um, I think the process of the um, cultural heritage legislation um, doesn't allow for proper involvement and participation of the traditional owners on country to actually say what needs to happen. Thanks. Thank Why are you here today? Sorry? Why are you here today? Well, I'm in here to, yeah, to be in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. That's, that's my reason for being here and I often sign uh, petitions and things but I actually want to do something about it today. Yeah. And I've got a bit of time before work so I rushed to work so I thought I'd rush here. Good on you. Thank you. I'm 3CR. Can I ask you why you're here today? I see you've oh, got the you pink. Can speak to my sister. You've got the pink ribbons. Yeah. Can oh, you for talk? Tanya Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's about Dap Rowan, but also Dep about Rowan. yeah, but it's also about um, uh, Tanya Day. Oh, just to consider I consider her, you know, for this as well. In yeah. Yeah, in solidarity for Tanya Day and her family. And the Dap Rowan, the traditional owners. Um, Japarong country. Why is this such an important issue? Because it's culturally and environment significant land and the trees there some are 800 years old and they've, they've been used as um, birthing trees for um, the centuries and it's really important to the Japarong people. Some people have said that if this was a big cathedral, they would be thinking twice about it. But because it's uh, trees, they don't really understand. Well, it's disappointing. They need to educate themselves that you know um, of the significance of these trees and the land, and, and, the land. and speak to the Jabarong people about it. Speak directly to them. I'm from 3CR. I'm wondering why you're down here. What's important? Are you, is this your country or is it uh, just in support? Uh, so this is my... We're currently on my country, Wurundjeri country, but I've been down to the Jabberwong trees multiple times and I think it's really important that we're down here to support as them as well if we can't be there on country with them. Now, why is it so important? Uh, country is sacred to us and to everyone. It's our life giver and if we're not protecting country then what are we, we're setting up our future to fail, especially with our trees. Yeah, and with the, uh, it's interesting because uh, it, uh, white society ignores country, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I think they have less of a connection to the land and more of a connection to money and wealth. Whereas with us, our life force comes from the land, all of our traditions come from the land. So, of course, we want to protect her and make sure that she can then keep providing for us.
good lesson to learn. Yeah, definitely. I'm from 3CR. Do you want to tell me why you're here? Beg pardon? Why are you here? I'm here because Vic Roads is not respecting uh, the Indigenous land and the Indigenous culture in wanting to basically build a road where these trees are. And you obviously think that this is really important, uh, that we should be, our society should actually be uh, personing up regarding these issues. Yeah, of course. Can I ask you why you're here? <laughs> Go on, tell um, me. To support community and the mob and get behind them. And, you know, what the um, Victorian government is doing is completely unfair on their behalf. And to the environment themselves, you'd be thinking that they'd want to, you know, be in our standard set with us, especially in this hard time. But, yeah. That's why I'm here. To show my support. Can you why you're here today? I'm here today to support the uh, Indigenous people and to try and make sure that we get the message across that the, that the land there is special to a lot of people and it has very rich cultural heritage which we uh, don't know a lot about but we want to. It's been pointed out that this is important but in white culture, Western culture, there's a misunderstanding about what's important. Well, that's right, we have different values, but I think it's becoming more and more obvious and apparent that Indigenous values are, are incredibly valuable uh, to everybody. They have a history and a heritage that we can only dream about, really. Good morning, everyone. My name's Georgia May. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My name is Georgia May. I'm a proud Wurundjeri and Ngunnawal Ilamurung woman. Uh, I want to start off today by acknowledging that we are meeting today on the Wurundjeri country and pay my respects to my elders past, present and emerging. I also want to acknowledge my, our Bunurung brothers and sisters and pay my respects to your elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today and recognise that our sovereignty was never ceded. I also want to acknowledge the Jabberwung people, especially their women, whose land we are currently fighting for. We stand here today as Jabberwung women and Jabberwung people to bring a message to the Victorian Parliament that they cannot destroy our sacred ancestor birthing trees that have been around for over 800 years. We need to send a clear message to the government that they need to stop this genocide attack on our people and our land. <laughs> Destroying Japarung country is destroying us, Japarung people. We are part of that land. Our ancestors' blood runs deep in that land. So destroying our country destroys us. And how dare they do this while they want to talk treaty? Shame. Shame. 
chaperone land, our grandfather tree, our ancestor trees, our birthing trees. That is our cathedral. That is where we gather. That's where we connect. That's where we talk to our ancestors. And they want to take that away? How would the churches feel if they took them away? It's our religion. It is everything that we are as a people. The Victorian government, through their mission managers, Aboriginal Victoria, made a statement an hour ago to say they followed process. Aboriginal Victoria don't speak for me or my people or my family or my children because they are backing the government to destroy us. Aboriginal Victoria have a process that manufactures dodgy consent. Aboriginal Victoria choose who they want to talk to. They don't want to talk to people like us, Japarung women. They pick who they want to talk to because that's how they get consent. So we're here to say that you have no consent to destroy our land and our people and our ancestor spirit that's been here. We have been here for thousands and thousands of generations. Invasion started 230 years ago. Our trees and that landscape is 800 year old. How does that make sense? How can anyone support the destruction of our land, our people? And that's what this parliament continues to do through their mission masters. I'd like to now invite my mother, a senior Japarung woman who's been fighting the fight for over 50 years and we're sick of fighting it but we'll continue to fight it till the day we die. Before I bring my mother up, Marjorie Thorpe. I first would like to ask for a minute's silence for all the devastation, for all the genocide, for all the deaths in custody, and for all our people struggling out there.
First of all, I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we stand on, the Wurundjeri people of this nation. I pay my respects to them, their elders, past and present, and to all those Wurundjeri who are here today. I'd also like to acknowledge some very important people um, Sandra Onis, who is unable to be here today, Elder of Japarung, who has stood on the line for the last 12 months under very difficult circumstances. And I think that to do that has been very difficult for a person her age. And I'm sorry that she's unable to be here today, but I know that she's here with us in spirit. I'd also like to acknowledge and pay my respects to DT Darren, who has been a, our very important and strong leader through this whole time. And for a, a young man, as he started out over 12 months ago, to the man that he is today has been a difficult road for him. But without him holding that line, we would not be here today right now doing what we are doing, standing up and protesting and fighting for our land and for our country. So thank you, Darren. And it's, it's leaders like Darren who are able to stand up and speak out that we have to look after and respect. So, with all of that, with all of the people that are here today, thank you. Thank you for coming out today and thank you for supporting us in this long battle to save our, our country, to save our landscape, to save our sacred trees. We are the Japarung people of the Western Districts. We were confronted in the first instance in, in, of the invasion to be left to about 30 people in our tribes. We were rounded up and put on missions and reserves. We were almost annihilated. But today we stand here as strong as we can to defend ourselves and to defend our country. And what we're defending ourselves against right now is the laws of this house, which continually to this day have decided to they wanted to destroy us, to destroy us in every aspect. We have, have to operate under the Heritage Council which is a state government legislation that controls our heritage and culture. It is a genocidal policy. It was opposed when it was in implemented a few years ago, where the cultural heritage of this state is run by the state and not by the people. Part of that process is where the Heritage Council is appointed by the state of Victoria appointed. 
and the registered Aboriginal parties are also appointed. So we have a government controlled process that actually rules us to this day. So you go from the policies of welfare and protection to today where our heritage is also controlled by the state of Victoria. This is not self-determination. We have the right to self-determination to have informed con and prior consent about any decisions that relate to us and to our heritage. This has not happened in this process. We have had Aboriginal organisations that have sadly made decisions on our behalf without our involvement. We have asked for it to be involved. We have insisted that we be involved, but we have been ignored. And because of that, some serious mistakes have been made. They have been made by the registered Aboriginal party. They have been made by the native title body, Eastern Ma, and they have been made by the state of Victoria through Vic Roads and Major Roads. They have all made mistakes in this process that right now put those trees at risk of destruction. They have failed to look at the reports that they themselves have commissioned to tell us what the state and what the situation is out there, which validates what we have been saying, that the area that we're talking about is highly significant cultural heritage land of the Japarung people. Unfortunately, the minister, the federal minister, was not given the whole report when she made her decision not to protect. What we are saying that we want those mistakes to be rectified and we want the minister to have the full report that says that these trees and this landscape is a major area of cultural significance to the Japarung people. We have fought, we have, we have, and not only us, there are non-Aboriginal supporters who have serious environmental concerns. We're talking about an environmental area that is important in terms of rivers, landscape, rock art, the whole thing in that little part of the country off the Western Highway. If people knew what was there, they'd be horrified to see that the state of Victoria wants to run a, ro a road right through that landscape. This is land, this is, this, is, this is an environment that you will never see again once it's destroyed. We want to save that not only for ourselves but for everybody. If you can't sustain the land and the landscape that you live on then you won't, then that can, can't sustain us. If we can't look after our environment in terms of the trees and water then we will have nothing left. If we can't look after that for our, our future generations, then we've lost our heritage and our culture as Japarung people. That's what we stand here for. We stand here for our elders, past and present, and we stand here for our young people who are the future. 
Thanks to everybody who has come out today and supported us in the last 12 months. We have been lied to, we have been robbed again, and we will not lay down and die. We will continue to fight. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Uh, next up is Sister Girl, Sissy Austin. J- Japarang. Um, my name is Sissy Austin. I too would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to country and elders. I was reflecting just then on the beginning and um, there, uh, there was this first day, I think, that we all travelled out there and, um, and I want to acknowledge Arnie Sandra Onis and Arnie Tracy and... Um, if everyone's been there now to what it is now to what it was on that first day, Arnie Tracy had this suitcase and um, we di- I didn't know what was in it and Arnie Tracy, it's this highway like, and, and Arnie Tracy grabbed the suitcase out of the boot and said, I need to get this across the road and we all ran across the road and I didn't know what was in it and in it was a tent, a thermos full of hot water and everything to make a, a cup of tea and we all stood there and she was like, come on, we've got to set this tent up. And we were like, really? Like, should we set up this tent? And it was this little blue tent and DT and I were talking about it the other day. And she said, come on, we've got to set it up. And then she said, who's got a piece of cardboard and who's got a black texter? And someone had cardboard and I had a texter in my car and, and, and Arnie Tracy wrote on it, Japarang Embassy. And it makes me emotional. Um, <laughs> And that's where, that's where it begun. And to see how it's grown from then till now, it's been, you know, it's been over 14 months that um, Japarang women have led on this fight with um, the uh, uh, DT has, has held the line for us women in a way that as a young woman, I've never seen a black man lead on this in, with such respect and integrity. For country and women, as what DT has over this 14 months, and it hasn't been easy. And I want to acknowledge DT's partner Amanda, who has also been there since day dot as well. They've made it through the coldest, coldest, coldest nights and boiling hot days at that embassy, and 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 I think that we've made it this far because that country has something in it that is so powerful and so strong. And, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not strong because of who we are as people. We're strong because we're being fueled by the power of that country out there. So, so when we acknowledge country, we have to think of that, that, that the power of country is the power of who we are as people, as sovereign people. And I know that a lot of um, non-Indigenous mob have felt that, that strength as well, um, who have held the line there with Cousin DT as well. Um, I think, you know, I, I've been reflecting a lot. I, I, I'm not the deadliest um, speaker, but I like to write. And I was thinking last week about this 
um, this family violence training that I was doing and I wrote a piece about um, the, the, there's all these um, characteristics and there's these um, all these warning signs of an abusive relationship and I was reflecting and I felt disgustingly sick that this whole reality hit me that that as a Japarang women, woman and women we're in this toxic disgusting abusive relationship with the with the Victorian government and then as I was writing it I was like shit you know this is so real like there's actually a, um, a honeymoon period to this and that honeymoon period is this treaty process that's going on at the same time and and it and it 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 feels um, it's hard to try and get on with every day and get up every morning and continue the fight that we know that needs to be fought um, when we're in this when we're in this abusive relationship with the Victorian government um, so yeah I think you know and then within that there's there's colluding we've got Martang we've got Easter Ma we've got major roads projects Victoria we've got all these counterparts that are that have the absolute ability to, to, to say no. They have the ability to listen, just like everyone's, everyone here today, um, and they're choosing not to. So we stand here strong, we're powered by Japarung country, and we're not stepping back for, on this fight now. We've gotten this far, and I believe strongly that country won't allow um, anything to happen to it with us being the voice for country that we are and what we will continue to be. Thank
You're on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, you're with Annie and Marcus and we're moving right along. You were saying that you've got an eyewitness report from uh, West Papua, Marcus. Yeah, from West Papua, an uh, eyewitness account. And I'll re- read it out from a friend in West Papua and she says, In Jayapur at the moment, uh, Papua is not safe. It's not a peaceful zone. Indonesian military everywhere. Bukta, Tabani has been arrested yesterday afternoon by the Indonesian Combined Military Forces, Police Brigade, Mobile Special Task Force and the Army. So solidarity to the people in West Papua. Yes, and now we're going to be talking to Brad Parker. Now, just a warning, uh, uh, anybody who is triggered by uh, discussion about suicide, uh, we are going to be talking about suicide prevention. We'll have the numbers that you might need later on after the discussion, but just to give you a warning... Yeah, and uh, Tuesday this week was World uh, Suicide Prevention Day. Thursday, of course, was Are You OK Day. And uh, this morning on Solidarity Breakfast, we're joined by uh, Brad Parker, who's the CEO of the Mates in Construction Suicide Awareness Program. Uh, welcome to the program, Brad. Thank you, Marcus, and g'day to Annie, and um, I hope you're doing OK this morning. Yeah, well, it's beautiful weather, I have to say. Yeah, it is. So firstly, Brad, are construction workers are overrepresented in the uh, suicide statistics? They are. They certainly are. Um, what, what we find is, according to the, the stats, uh, they're six times more likely to take their life uh, than die from a workplace accident. You then, you then take that to the, uh, a younger demographic, 15 to 24-year-olds, and they're 10 times more likely to uh, take their life or suicide than um, fall foul to a, a workplace fatality. So... Um, we know construction workers are three times higher than the national average when it comes to suicide, and there's a couple of important reasons why that might occur. Now, what are the factors identified as to why construction workers are overrepresented in the uh, suicide statistics? Well, apart from you know those normal life events that generally we we have problems with, where it might be you know relationship problems, it might be financial problems, child custody disputes. Um, you can bang on forever about them. What, is, what pertains to the construction industry that uh, sort of makes it, uh, makes it a larger problem is we have, we have long working hours. Um, there's a culture of uh, um, not allowing discussion of problems with your mates, so it's a very macho culture, bottling your feelings up. It's obviously it's a male-dominated sector. That speaks for itself. But lack of job security, the life of the project is as good as the life of the job, and they're always thinking... What's coming up next? Have I got a job? Where am I going to? There's a bit of, you know, culture of uh, heavy alcohol use, um, some drugs in there as well. Uh, But, look, there's a number of factors, and I'm not here to denigrate the industry. I love it. I've worked in it for three decades. But we do need to understand some of these problems that exist within, within the industry. The um, there is a lot of work going on in this sphere, isn't it? In in there, and I know that over the last few weeks, in fact, there've been deaths of this sort. I mean, probably no week goes by without people having actually uh, succumbed to their anxiety. There, there is obviously uh, issues around the way men, in particular, deal with their own personal anxiety, as if it's a weakness. Yeah, so, so we know, according to the stats, that 90, 93% of construction workers uh, who had suicide had never sought professional help. So, you know, 93% suffered in silence. They either didn't know where to find uh, the help 
or they didn't even look for it. Um, so what we try and create in the Mates in Construction program is, um, you know, we, we get out there and we teach on construction sites. We actually run training. Uh, we're much more than that, but we get out and we teach what signs they need to look for, so those signs of suicidality, how they can pick them up, and then about keeping someone safe while connecting them to help. Um, we know that um, through international research, and there was a Perth hospital study some time ago, where um, they found that uh, they had a number of people that had attempted um, that actually uh, they survived, and they asked them, what were you thinking when you took that final act? And a really high number in, in the 90 percentile mark came back and said, we just wanted to stay alive. So we know that our brains are hardwired to keep us alive, um, but we think it's a bit like, you know, they're struggling to bear the pain of living at that moment. So we know if we can capture them in the moment and we can create that network of carers within a construction site or within a workplace, any workplace, um, we can keep them safe while connecting them to help. We can, you know, we've got a chance of uh, getting getting them through. Have you uh, worked on any of the uh, issues of anxiety in the sense that uh, I know that uh, people, as a general rule, have no idea that anxiety is like a uh, tsunami in a sense, like it or it creeps up on people and it has a physical outcome. Most people think yep. it's purely mental, but in actual fact, it uh, it's it's as powerful as having a uh, a physical illness. That's correct. It is, and um, well done, Annie. And uh, we we know that they. The anxiety, with what happens with our, in our program too, what we do, what the beautiful thing is, those people who present with those anxiety issues when we're doing the training, uh, or, you know, some mental health, uh, whatever mental health uh, issues they have, um, uh, they, it normalises it for them within the workplace, right? So um, you do have... you. We encourage, you know, to get rid of that stigma, get rid of that shame if you've got a mental health issue or anxiety or whatever... And we do teach the signs for people to look for them and just say to them, mate, um, how are you going? You're doing okay. You know, ask that question. Um, and it, go, it goes a bit further than that as well. But we know, uh, I can tell you, um, we had uh, a young construction worker who saw us after one of our training sessions. He said, you know, he said, I lost my dad. Uh, you know, he, he passed away. And he said, we had this thing we'd uh, always celebrate the NRL grand final together, the AFL grand finals together. He said, when grand final day came around, he said, I got a knock on the door and he said there was about 12 of my mates, one with a slab on his shoulder, the other one, you know, with snags. And, um, they said, out of the way, we're here to celebrate. They knew it was going to be a tough day for him. So they, they decided to check in on him. And, um, and so well, now we ask construction workers, if you know someone uh, who's doing it tough or they've lost a, a loved one or whatever, just uh, punch, punch that day in your calendar and your phone and give them a call and uh, just check in on them. It might be a sad day for them, but by you acknowledging, you're halving the pain, you know. And thousands of workers across Australia have been trained in the Mates in Construction program, Brad. Um, is there evidence to suggest the program is working, it is saving lives? Well, there is, Marcus. So we're, we're an evidence-based, research-based uh, organisation. We have academics sit on each board in each state. We have a national academic reference group who does some wonderful stuff. Um, so you can get on our website and have a look and knock yourself out with having a look at all the research. But we know that um, through some of our research that we've reduced suicide, 
uh, by nearly 8%, um, which is amazing. Who would have thought? Blue-collar workers uh, in the construction industry, uh, you know, w- working together to reduce suicides. The rest of the world is looking to what we're doing. We've actually now moved into making construction in New Zealand, so we're going international. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is a way. Um, I often say that, you know, suicide and uh, mental health issues can be complex, but they may not be so complex to fix. You know, it, it is about mates looking after mates. That's not a throwaway statement. Uh, it's actually real and tangible and people are there to help. And on the construction projects, there's trained workers, is it? Connectors and assist workers who are the first port of call if workers are uh, doing it tough or need to talk? Yeah, you're right across the brief uh, there, Marcus. That's right. What happens, we, we get we get onto a site. Uh, we do about uh, 45 minutes to an hour of general awareness training. What we try and capture is the whole site. Now, we normally achieve 80% or above, and that's difficult on construction sites. They're a bit of a moving feast. But you, you get them trained up in that um, general awareness training. Then at the end of it, we get them to volunteer. Anybody stick their hand up that wants to go further and do the connector course. That connector course is another four hours. Um, so they, they stick their hand up and volunteer. We try and create at least a ratio of 1 to 20 connectors, and we fit that in with some research that says 1 in 20 people may have suicidal thoughts. It might be fleeting, but they do have them. But you create that network of carers. That they know they're the go-to people. They're trained up to keep them safe while connecting them to help. We don't seek to be the mental health professionals. We're not doctors. We're not uh, psychologists or we're not even counsellors, but um, we, we can connect them to those people because uh, we know that construction workers didn't go looking for that. And then, of course, the assist is another uh, thing, again, which is applied suicide intervention skills training, uh, two-day suicide first aid. And uh, that's really meant for, you know, HSRs on the job, uh, maybe a union delegate, maybe some project management, uh, health and safety uh, manager, whatever. And, um, and that's two days of, uh, you know in-depth, you know, suicide training. um, But, you know, it's sort of looking at uh, mental health from the pointy end and working its way back. Who's supporting your efforts? Well, good good question, Annie. I'm glad you asked it. So, look, in um, New South Wales, where I'm from, about 30% of my funding comes from the federal government. It's clearly not enough. Um, 70% comes from industry. So, uh, the industry, the generosity of the industry getting behind it and uh, getting behind the program is uh, really important. Um, you know, look, I think uh, if you look at the research, a lot of a lot of the suicidal behaviour, the, the cost of that is borne by government, so government really should be getting in behind programs, proven, evaluated, evidence-based programs like mates in construction. Uh, they really should be getting behind it and... Um, you know, we're quite successful, so the evidence is there. They should be paying for it. And so uh, the unions are also involved, I presume? Yeah, yeah. Look, unions, um, uh, I just don't tell anyone uh, they're any, but really this program is a union-based program, if you look at it. it uh, what it does, it, it, it's about the collective. Um, we use, in our training, we use a bit of anger, hope, action. So, you know, given the stats, they get a bit angry. They have a look at it. They go, my goodness me, you know, what can we do about this? Uh, give them a bit of hope, though, and say, you know, look, these are the signs to look for, and then put that into action. Uh, it's really organising 101, I've got to say, but um, it is it is a union-based program because it is from uh, the bottom up. Um, and because and, it works. And because it works. It just works, right? It's just about, you know, people looking after people. Yeah.
How, how can workers um, access the mates in construction services? Look, we, we have we have a helpline, um, uh, 1-300-64-2-111. It's like lifeline for construction workers and their families. Uh, but also um, what they can do, they can get in touch. They can get on our website and get in touch with us. And um, uh, Can you give us that, that number again? So it's 1-300-642-111. Yep. So one three double oh six four two triple one and uh that's that's a number used for a number of things but it is there for uh workers in the industry uh their families um because we we believe it's not just a workplace program by the way what we teach they take back to their you know their loved ones their family and friends and their community it is a community program because they spread it far and wide um so yeah that number's there for somebody, to, if they're doing it tough, uh, you know, it works a bit like those other numbers you get, Lifeline and so forth, and, um, and we can triage them and uh, get them help. Thanks very much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me, Annie and Marcus. Thanks, Brad. And, uh, appreciate it. Cheers. Bye. Let's give him the week that was Warmonger of the Year Award. Hopefully that will lift the new doll bludger's spirits. Notice Donald was upset the Taliban killed a great US Ob soldier. The Taliban invaded the US Ob Donald. No, our great trained killer was in Afghanistan to kill the Taliban. Oh dear, and they killed him. Evil, evil, greatest evil ever. But the really interesting thing was that Donald said the great American came from Puerto Rico. 
that US ob satellite whose people Donald wants to keep out of the place. Not that Donald's ever inconsistent. Terror was also commemorated on the 11th of the 9th, or as our great friend the US ob says, 9-11. One of the horrific acts of terror killing and torturing thousands as the US ob overthrew the elected Chilean Big Supremo on 9-11-1973 and established the reign of terror of General Pinch of Shit. A couple of years before the same forces, our close, close, warm friend connived to overthrow our very own true blue Aussie big supremo. Bringing us to just when we thought a major contributor to the socialists losing the unlosable election was that its supremo and would-be big supremo little Billy Shorten ambition was about as popular as a fart in a lift, we find his monumental unpopularity and feigned sincerity had nothing to do with it. No, thanks to the Minister for Financing Capitalism, Matthias Rotten Tudor, we learned the socialist lost because of economic socialism. Little Billy was an uncontrollable economic socialist, he told the Sydney Profits Institute, giving that so-called think tank something to think about. The socialists had been out of control since former big supremo little Kevin Rod for the workers and his economic guru Wayne Swan, Swan Song for workers practised rampant socialism. Something, listener, we missed entirely, but who are we to doubt Matthias? The socialists need to recapture the heady days of our sadly lamented former big supremo nuclear hawk himself and the world's greatest worst treasurer, Paul, which the great practitioners of the greatest little economic order of them all, Matthias's audience, constantly plead, showing what threats to capital, nuclear and poor were. Well, the incidence of trade union membership reflects that. The economic socialism, quote, explicitly committed itself to the flawed socialist pursuit of equality of outcomes, falsely asserting that Trubler was he had a major and growing inequality problem. A telling point, because he's filthy rich of the filthy rich audience, would have known full well there is absolutely no inequality in Trubler Aussie. Well, not just them, we, we all know that. If there is inequality, it affects the poor, caring employers, like that highly esteemed transnational food giant, well, it's called food for want of a better description, Nestle out the profit, forced to sadly let go its entire Tongala tinned milk plant workforce, plant workforce, blaming a declining tinned milk demand and particularly cheaper overseas imports. See, yet another example of lazy, avaricious workers pricing themselves out of a job by demanding crippling pay and conditions, forcing poor Nestle out the profits to take the business overseas to where the workers are so much less lazy and avaricious. And then it can bring in its own cheaper overseas imports, even if the sadly let go 100 plus workforce won't be able to afford them. As the private health profits industry argues we'd all be a lot healthier if it could get its hands on more and more of the public purse, it seems Booper has made a blooper and got sprung. More than half, indeed 60% of its aged care facilities worthy of being closed down due to a bit lacking in the care department. 
Bet there's no problem in the collect the money department. And then Booper Blooper said it had nothing to do with it. Some mysterious agent created the problem, but it would take steps to rectify the problem. How good of it. Which they all say when they get sprung. Although, which some might say, they could avoid by not creating the problem in the first place. Doing that for which they are handsomely paid. And then they said the vast majority of Booper Blooper facilities were well run. And I thought, which bit of less than half, indeed 40%, is the vast majority? I don't claim to be a mathematical genius, but, but, but uh, move on. On health, a new report from King's College London says red wine is not only beneficial for the heart, but is also good for the gut. So many of us should have the healthiest hearts and guts in the world. It does say the occasional glass, but then that's okay, because I never miss an occasion to down one or two. Speaking of London, the totally unnecessary headline of the week last weekend's True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review has Boris botched Brexit. Only Boris would answer no. Oh, and possibly Donald, his biggest supporter. In fact, maybe his only. Until he, Boris, does something or even nothing to upset Donald and Donald tweets that he didn't tweet all the, all the eulogies he tweeted about Boris. Fake news. But, but here's what you tweeted. Fake news. Biggest fake news ever. The latest corruption inquiry into the, surprise, surprise, New South Wales Socialist Party reckons that the recently retired, arising out of the inquiry, Secretary Kayla Manane got her corruption scandals mixed up when she gave evidence, was talking about a different scandal to council assisting. And we can sympathise with her, because when it comes to the New South Wales Socialist Party, it'd be so easy to get your scandals mixed up. In the week that was sport, former footy star and darling of the social set Chris Judged was judged an environmental crook, picking up the Back to Nature Award of the Week after his company bought an Arthur Seat property, quote, as a haven for family and friends to enjoy. Ah, Back to Nature, Chris. Except... The council believes the clearance was designed to create a suburban environment and an area for the kids to run around, the council said, as Chris was charged with destroying preserved vegetation in a protected creek, 3,500 square metres of it. Perhaps he intended to stick goalposts at each end, but it's heartening to see Chris so loves the bush and appreciates nature. Oh, that's clear, he said. A oh, Clear, Chris. Oh, well, cleared. Chris, your Back to Nature Award of the Week is on its way, and we're sure the social ace A-list will forgive you. In fact, another ex-footballer, Lindsay Foxy, will award you another medal after Paul Lindsay was also done by the council again last week for the 1,332nd time for regarding the entire coastline as his private property to do with what he wishes. Chris did say he was worried about snakes, yet... He attends all those A-list social events. Also planning to take over land, Zion Big Supremo Benjamin, not another Yahoo, preparing for the next round of US ARP-sponsored peace initiatives by promising to expand Zion into the land the Palestinian non-state non-people fled when Zion took over their land. Although annexing the land is just recognising the fait accompli of years of good, loyal Zion citizens annexing it anyway. 
Uh, how will this assist the two-state solution, Benjamin? It will allow Zion to state that the Palestinian non-state, non-people terrorists must pay for their terrorists, pay for their terrorism by remaining stateless. There is nothing more terrifying for a brave young man or woman, cream of Zion youth train killer, than to have a stone thrown at her or him. Uh, but where can the non-state, non-people live? Outside the West Bank, which is within Zion's borders, where they will become a threat to our security, so we will have to annex those lands they don't own to prevent more terrorism. This emerging retail and fast food workers' union has a lot to answer for. The fair work, true blue Aussie, no longer work choices, just looks like it commission, threw out a hungry for profits jack agreement claiming workers were not consulted properly. The real union, the shopping the workers union, accused the parvenu retail and fast food lot of requiring, quote, a detailed and confusing explanation of the terms of an agreement to young and inexperienced workers. Employees will switch off. A sentiment supported by our old mate, True Blue Aussie Industry Profits Group Supremo, Innes will cost the workers. The retail and fast food approach highlights that there are far too many technical hurdles in the agreement-making process that need to be addressed through legislative changes, Innes mused wisely. Yeah, back to the comfy little arrangements between the caring employer and the shop, the workers' union, this bloody interfering new union wanting the workers to know what's going on or not going in their pay packets. It's none of their bloody business. Finally, back to the beginning, out of stress at the demise of our favourite US of warmonger, John Bolt on the bad guys, a final tribute, and let's hope it's the last we ever hear of him. There was an aggressive moustache which believed in the bomb and the lash. The relief for the poor is to send them to war. Death for them, for us, plenty of cash. Good morning. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Marcus and uh, we're going to move right along because I had a chat with a uh, a person called Robin Vote. Now, Robin Vote is a local activist, actually. She's in um, Darabin and uh, I met her at the uh, Fair Go for Pensioners conference and she was there talking about the marketisation of aged care. And the reason for why I found it absolutely fascinating was because her group of people decided that it wasn't okay for Darabin to relinquish their well-run uh, aged care services, right? And I don't know if people have realised this, but the federal government set, set off this uh, policy mechanism running through the country, wanting councils to relinquish their social services, to the private sector. Privatisation, Eve. Yeah, it's privatisation. And they decided, again, to, to stop the trend, her group of people, and they started up a, a group called uh, Does Council Care, which, of course, as she says, really got on their goat. Anyway, I wanted to have a chat with her. Uh, we had a long chat about what her group did and what effect they had. 
I'm a fairly recent resident of Darabin. I moved there in 2014 and I had a background in community services, particularly aged care and disability care, so I was interested. And I was invited to join an advisory board that advises council on everything to do with the aged residents' population. Because they actually offered services, didn't they? They do indeed. In fact, Durban Council has a very proud record as being one of the leading councils in Australia. Um, In fact, many years ago, I was sent by a board in my job um, in New South Wales um, to visit Darabin Council because their services were considered state-of-the-art. And there's been a change because the federal government wants all of the councils to fall into line uh, with something called MyGov... My Aged Care. My Aged Care. Well, it's part of the government's privatisation agenda and we can't even blame the coalition for this. Um, In fact, privatisation, neoliberalism leads to privatisation and um, Labor government has been equally complicit um, in introducing the neoliberal agenda. And, I mean, we can be very cynical about this and I don't know why we allow it to continue. Um, Can you think of one government service that's been privatised where it's worked to the advantage of the community? Well, no, I jump in here quickly and say, no, I don't. And in this particular case, this has really far-reaching ramifications for elderly and um, aged residents of Darabin, doesn't it? Well, my belief is privatisation of electricity and and a whole range of other previously government services um, are harmful. But when you're dealing with the most vulnerable members in our community, people who are, have a disability or um, are aged, um, it ain't going to end well um, because... Often those people and their carers are under stress already and then have to deal with the the private market um, trying to get their buck. And it, it's just not a good environment um, for people to get the care that they need when they're most needy. Now, when um, the federal government, uh, this rollout, has some of the local council have just automatically... Uh, got rid of their local services and moved on. Now, I know Maribyrnong was forced to pay back pay, uh, redundancy pay to their workers who'd been working for them for, you know, decades in some cases. Uh, but this was just part of this uh, privatisation. But you are part of a group of people who said, no, uh, hang on here. We don't think this is a great idea. Yes, we certainly did. Members of Council's Active and Healthy Ageing Board, which was the advisory board I referred to earlier, started asking questions after the NDIS was um, rolled out into the Darabin area. And we were very concerned that disability services um, were immediately ceased by Darabin Council. And through our communities and through our friends, we saw really the effect of the NDIS on on people with disabilities and their 
and their families. Yeah, in the real world. In Absolutely. The NDIS was not a happy story, as we're only too well aware. And it still hasn't really um, been found effective in every way. It's getting better, I must admit, but it's taken a long time and a lot of people have suffered a lot in the meanwhile. So we were very concerned that when My Age Care, which was on the government's agenda, was fully implemented, um, that the same was going to happen to older residents in Darabin and across Australia. But we yeah, were Darabin folks, yeah. so we were most concerned about our own community. And this is about being active locally. Yeah, absolutely. And being interested to see whether that has any ramifications on a wider scale. So four or five of us were very unhappy about the responses we got from councillors when we asked questions and from council staff. And it didn't matter what uh, brand of councillor? No. In fact, um, Greens councillors in Darabin answered my first question when I went along to a council meeting and asked a question from the gallery about privatisation. Greens councillors actually responded that they saw privatisation of aged care as a very positive thing because it gave people more choice. I was quite stunned and then afterwards got quite annoyed and talked to other colleagues who were on the same advisory board and we started asking what you might call awkward questions at board meetings and wrote to councillors totally dissatisfied with the responses we were getting, um, we formed a group called Does Council Care, which turned out to have a very That's a great name. Yes, it was, which also mirrors DCC, Darabin City Council, Does Council Care, and that has proven to be um, a name that annoys councillors and council staff no end. Yes, it would. But we say, well, we want to fly a banner, you know, in a year or two, does council care? Yes. Um, So we'll add to it later, we say, to our name. And the Splinter Group rapidly grew um, with other interested people. It was real kitchen table stuff over cups of coffee and somebody would bring along a friend and suddenly the group got bigger and bigger until... Finally, we decided to take some action, and our first action was um, to um, have a petition circulated. We ended up with over 2,000 signatures, which we rather nastily delivered to council on a monthly basis, so there'd be 200 tabled one month and 300 the next month, and that annoyed councillors no end. Consistent. Yes. Consistent irritation. Yes, it was, and um, began to alarm them, I think. The next thing we did, maybe 18 months ago, was to hold a forum. And we were quite worried about having a forum in Preston at night, um, whether anyone would, would would turn up. Over 80 people came and were very agitated and alarmed at the prospect of losing Darabin's wonderful aged care services. What, what do they offer? What, do, what, what are the services? The services offer? at the moment um, 
are funded through a Commonwealth program um, called Commonwealth Home Support Program, CHSP, which is going to be phased out. And eventually, when my aged care is fully implemented, and that has been delayed now till 2022, um, then it will be all aged care packages. And the reason that council say councils say that they cannot continue providing aged care is that then competitive neutrality uh, rules will apply to the delivery of packages. In other words, it's the level playing field where councils won't be able to supplement their services, their, their delivery of services with ratepayers' funds. At the moment, under the CHSP arrangement, Darabin Council, for example, um, contributes $6 million a year from its own funds to supplement um, their delivery of aged care services because the Commonwealth funding isn't enough um, to cover all the services. And the services range from home help, um, respite care, Meals on Wheels, um, and probably the most important part of the service is personal care, where older people living at home um, might need help in the morning to get out of bed, to shower, um, to get up and up and ready for the day. Yep. And at the end of the day, the same. And that probably is the most important um, level of care that prevents people from being sent to nursing homes. Yes. And so the whole the whole purpose of home care is to prevent um, early institutionalisation. Yes, um, which of course is also considered to be cost effective, but is useful to the individual. So mm. you had your meeting and you had your forum. Who who spoke at the forum? Um, we had um, a range of speakers. Um, one person who was receiving um, home care services from Urban Council. Um, a wonderful woman who's in her late 80s and has had the same carers from council for over 20 years and was devastated at the prospect of losing those carers and having to resort to a private company. Um, we had a range of somebody from the ASU, um, the union that's responsible for the workers, um, that provide home care um, through Darabin Council and other Victorian councils about the impact on the workers. And that that is shocking as well. I mean, the workers are mainly women. Um, they're often older women who have been involved for many, many years in providing services in the community. They're better paid than their counterparts in the private industry. Um, they have conditions of service good heavens, like leave and sick leave. <coughs> and um, they also have good management, as it turns out, um, compared to private companies. And we've all been reading in the media about some of the tricks that private companies get up to. And well, I think they'll probably be subjected to the similar things that happen to cleaners. They'll be a contract company, then they have to tender for it, then they tender a too low, and then they pay them less money, but it's exactly the same work or more work. 
Well, through our involvement with the ASU, because the ASU then, after the forum, um, were regular attendees that does council care meetings to bring along the latest statistics from Durban Council about what was happening with the workers. Um, and there was an increased casualisation for over a period of about six months where older workers were um, invalided out under very shaky grounds and um, made redundant. And But that seems to have stopped now as it... Well, it seems to have stopped. We can't get staffing figures. They're considered confidential. But, of course, the union were... Um, well in there and with constant contact with staff. And um, it, it, it seems that in the private sector, workers, say a home help worker that's doing house cleaning, may be paid the minimum wage up to maybe $22 an hour, casual. Yeah. And they keep the hours very low so that superannuation doesn't apply. They keep it below the ceiling where superannuation kicks in. Um, the other thing is that it attracts people who really don't want to be in the aged care industry. They do a very short course. Um, they don't have many skills. And they get out of the industry as quickly as they can. It, mm. It's sort of a, a staging post. So it's not a very satisfactory outcome for people who are relying on these people? No, because um, the private companies call it the churn. Yes. Where um, without warning, somebody in their 90s suddenly gets a personal care worker turning up ringing their doorbell that they've never met before. Oh, gosh. Yes, that's really terrible. That yeah. that just leads into a whole lot of other things that we know about anxiety levels and also people being, uh, they're phys physically frail so they can't uh, perhaps defend themselves. Well, I think as I'm not <clears throat> terribly young and I haven't got quite to the insecure or nervous stage, but I think as people get older and mm. frailer, um, they're less trusting and very wary of strangers. So well, it's yeah. quite frightening yeah. to have somebody come to the door that maybe hasn't even been introduced it's by a phone call even. It's pretty outrageous stuff. Mm. Anyway, so you had your forum uh, and so you had a person who used, who used the service who was fr frightened we by the changes. union members. Union members. Yeah. And um, we had Professor Rob Watts, who's very well known for his views on privatisation. Yes. And, and speaks brilliantly. Mm. And I guess having him as the first speaker really um, focused people's attention on what was happening That's right. um, in the aged care industry. Mm. And um, there were lots of questions from the floor. Because a lot of people didn't really understand what was going on, they did didn't. they? They didn't. It's no. a very complex scenario, mm. aged care. And, um, but also the privatisation of personal care, making it into pure uh, human relationships being um, reduced to economic value. Mm. That's a real problem. And in a way, we got lucky because weeks after our forum, um, the mayor, who'd previously been presumably neutral, 
um, at a council meeting suddenly came up with a mayor's motion um, that Darwin Council would commit to continuing its aged care services at least until CHSP funding was phased out. And that was initially to have been in 2020. And that was a commitment that was important because other councils around Victoria um, were dropping yeah, like flies. That's, they were. They and just assumed that yeah, it was yeah, this was the new method. Yeah. And so having the commitment to continue the service until 2020, 18 months ago, seemed like a bit of a game. Then the Commonwealth suddenly um, announced the Royal Commission. and Into aged care? Yes. Where people aren't even being Quality fed properly. Quality and safety in aged care. And so that was another stroke of luck for us and for the Darabin community because not long after that, the government announced that CHSP funding would indeed be extended until 2022. So having had the mayor's unanimously adopted motion that council would remain as a provider, we suddenly had a bit of time up our sleeves, so to speak, until 2022 um, before Darabin's council services would end. So I don't think the mayor knew any of this when she reacted to our forum by um, by you know, promising or making a commitment until at least 2020. And then it was extended beyond that without her knowledge. So the uh, activism, the local activism has had actual effects. Where is it going now? Absolutely. Um, we've continued our pressure by attending council meetings quite regularly and asking questions. Also, probably as a direct um, reaction to the forum, Darabin Council announced a $250,000 consultant's review of age-friendly Darabin. There's a United Nations action about age-friendly cities, and Darabin Council decided to look at the existing state of ageing gracefully and safely in Darabin and what could be done to um, improve that. And there was a lot of criticism of the amount of money that was allocated to this review. Um, But as it turned out, um, the review found in consultations that the community, now very aware of what might happen to their services, um, focused their questions and responses at consultations around the Age-Friendly Darabin Review on aged care services. It was the most um, raised issue in any consultation um, during the review period. Oh, you must have felt uh, vindicated and uh, pleased that your work and your compatriots' work has actually paid off. Absolutely. Mm. And given that some of us have been activists in the past, but members of the group had really never taken any political action over another issue, but were very tuned in to community needs because I think the reason that 
we're interested in aged carers, that we might live in a street where over half the residents are, if not aged, um, older. Hmm. But they're real people. We are. Our neighbours are real people. People. Yeah, yeah. Not statistics. And, I mean, down the street from me, there was a World War II veteran called Wally mm-hmm. who lived with his wife. Mm. They were both in their 90s. And Wally and I were good mates. He zipped up and down the street at dangerous speeds, I might tell you, on his scooter. And um, Wally and I often chewed the fat in the street. And um, I said to him early on in Does Council Care's activities, Wally, I've got a petition I'd like you to sign. And he said, oh, what's all this about Rob's? He called me Rob's. Um and I told him, and he said, oh, well, of course, I don't need care. I mean, he was 75, uh, 95 at the time, I think, but my, my my missus does, and she gets care from council, and she's had the same carer for over 20 years, and we consider that carer to be part of the family. Oh, the missus is going to be very upset about this. And he signed his, the petition, and said, could he sign another one? (laughs) And I said, oh, only one signature, Wally. Um, He said, well, you'd better do something about this. Uh, This this isn't okay. And not long afterwards, his wife passed away. Wally still declared that he didn't need any care. And he very recently has died. But one of the last conversations with Wally, I was able to tell him that Does Council Care has made significant progress because our council, a little over a month ago, has decided to at least try to continue offering aged care after the CHSP funding ends and to compete with the private sector. And at our suggestion... They're running a pilot project with up to 40 participants and they're partnering with a um, <coughs> with a um, private company. Um, no, sorry, not a private company, a not-for-profit company that's well-regarded um, to offer packages. And... We'll see how this goes, whether council can actually compete with the private sector, which, of course, they've always claimed they can't because of their better wages and conditions and the fact that competition policy won't allow them to contribute additional funds. In other words, the cost of their services is higher. Yeah, but you you just listen to that. That's um, what our product, the government, the federal government's Productivity Commission has basically done a report to say that you're not allowed to run anything that is competitive with a private industry at a better, uh, offer better wages, better conditions, mm. because it's not competitive. Mm. Now, people should actually think that through. Well, as that, I said that is a just outrageous. Earlier. It's a race to the bottom. Yeah. Our petition you know, the introduction to the petition was we, the undersigned residents and ratepayers of Darabin, um, call on council, not demand, but call on council to continue its highly regarded um, aged care services. 
and then went on to talk about how the staff of Darabin Aged Care is so well well managed and well skilled and well qualified um, that it will be an enormous loss to the community. So we focused on the positive rather than the negative. And I found people were more happy to sign a petition like that. They'd read a lot of, most people read it and would want some explanation. And then other people said, oh, that's much too polite. Petitions shouldn't sound like that. You should be demanding stuff. No, if you ask nicely, you're probably more likely to get people's attention. Anyway, that's uh, Solidarity Breakfast for this week. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. We went to the uh, rally outside Parliament House on Tuesday for Jack Barung and uh, we then followed it up with... Uh, we spoke to Brad Parker, the CEO from uh, Mates in Construction Suicide Awareness uh, Program, so yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sobering. It is oftentimes, as, as he said, you yeah, have that discussion, ask people if they're okay and yeah, that discussion could save a life. That's exactly right. Followed by this is the week that was, and then a potential uh, watching brief uh, for aged care at Darabin Council. But this is something that's happening right across Australia, and people should be deeply worried, and they should get off their bottoms and do something about it, like they're doing in in uh, Darabin. Does council care? You should ask. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. As I said, we'll go out with a Cindy Boyce song. Never look back. Every day you tell of a dream this morning Child, I feel all twisted and torn. Cried an ocean of tears, cause I felt so alone. I could not help him, I just had to go. Keep an appointment with a man dressed in black, and I read from that feeling and never looking back. Well, the world was howling across the plains. High in the sky, they were flying machines. They wheeled and they turned all out of control. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.